I'm Robert Gowan. Thanks for joining Mentors Military, and I'm joined by my co-host. Kyle Neal. So we're, we're sitting here at Pearl and Pine Brewery. They've uh, graciously offered us the ability to, to come into the studio and sit down here and um, obviously be able to put on this show. So we really appreciate them in doing that. And uh, today we're joined by two special people here. So Phil Sussman and Jared Reinhardt. So uh, thank you both. Uh, Phil, this is your, like your third time. This is number three. Yeah. 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 It's been a while since you were on. We covered a little bit of it, a highlight when you came on with your brother on the second episode, but jump back, kind of do an overview, a little bit about your backstory and everything. Um, that'll be helpful. And then we'll do the same for you, Jared, maybe. Cool. Uh, so my name is Phil Sussman. I was a, in the Army, I was a Cav Scout, and then I, I went to Special Operations Civil Affairs following that. Uh, you go further back, I was a photojournalism student in uh, Boston University back in 2006, and decided I wanted to be a war photographer. Uh, so I took a job with a, with a small agency in Jerusalem, and I had a $24 a month apartment with a bunch of immigrants, and, uh, and I had a bus pass, and I'd go to the West Bank, and I'd, I'd uh, travel around taking pictures for the agencies, ended up covering war uh, with Hezbollah up north in, in Lebanon, and came home and had the war bug, you know, the, the, the conflict bug, and I wanted to get back to it. So I ended up working for the Army for a year as a contractor up at Fort Lewis. I worked for the Northwest Guardian. Um, I left that and decided I wanted to finally start doing it and be on the other side of the camera. That's when I joined the Army. I uh, commissioned out of University of South Florida in 2012. Went to Fort Carson, uh, spent some time as, as a cavalry officer. Um, had some difficult experiences uh, in my service and broke my back in 2015 when I was a couple weeks out from, from CAS, from Civil Affairs Assessment and Selection. Had a hasty rehab, ended up going back to selection at about 60% passed. Um, got through it, went to Civil Affairs Brigade, had a couple deployments, uh, Jordan and Syria. Um, somewhere in that mix around 2017, I started a company called American Yogi. Uh, part of my rehab from my back uh, was yoga and meditation and mindfulness. And I decided I wanted to spread that to as many people as I could in our community that maybe would have never seen that sort of wellness as an option. Uh, so I continued that throughout my career. Uh, I medically retired about a year and a half, two years ago at this point. Um, continued to run the company, became a stay-at-home dad. You know, last time I was on the show, I think I was in the process of getting out. Uh, now I, I've been a veteran for a little while now, and I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm a vastly different person uh, since I got out. I've done a lot of healing. I uh, spent time with heroic hearts down in Peru and Mexico and, and started working closely with them. And uh, now I'm here to, to, to spread healing and, and love as, as far as I can, man. Yeah, that's awesome, man. What a great story, too, because, I mean, each time that you came on, I've noticed a different step in your journey, in your process. So I can't wait to hear more about this part of it Thank for you. sure. So Jared. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, first, thanks for having me on here. This is uh, incredible. This, I'm really, really stoked to really be here. So um, so I was, uh, I was in the Marine Corps for five years. And uh, during that time in the Marine Corps, I had two different jobs. I was a uh, security forces uh, stationed out of NBK Bangor in Washington State, where I guarded uh, special assets and, um, and the subs out there. Uh, I eventually got uh, transfer duty stations to 2-7, where I was my primary job as a machine gunner. Uh, I did not deploy to Afghanistan or Iraq for that time frame, which at the time, as a grunt, man, I hated that. I was, uh, it was like I was training for the big game and never got my opportunity. So um, when I got out of the Marine Corps in 2011, I had a huge chip on my shoulder about my service because I didn't feel like I got to serve in the war I wanted to fight in. So, um, like most of us, I had 
I was drinking a lot. I was doing, uh, grew a huge beard, you know, was trying to fight everyone and I couldn't hold relationships, couldn't hold job. So the only thing I could really think about doing was getting back into that lifestyle, but I didn't really want to go back into the Marine Corps. So I became a private contractor for about four years. Uh, so I was back and forth to Iraq and Afghanistan um, for basically a four year period. During that time frame, when I was a contractor, I would come home on leave, so I'd be gone for probably about 10 to 11 months uh, overseas, and I'd come back for like a month or two months uh, for leave. And during that time frame, like most contractors probably out there, I don't want to speak for everybody, but for me, I was uh, I partied really hard when I got home. I had all this money in my pocket, and I wasn't going to do anything, so I partied with my friends really hard. Um, and during that time frame, they uh, not not uh, not just with the drinking and in uh, women and everything else that I was doing. They would my friends would be like, "Hey, let's let's do a psychedelic at the end of your uh, your time home." And so I would try different psychedelics with my friends and stuff at that time. And I had a pretty profound experience on on one of these occasions that led me to start researching into uh, plant medicine and what it could do to help me because I, I had this huge shift um, in experience. So I went back out to Iraq and researched all about this thing called ayahuasca. And, um, and then I found a center that was in the deep, the depths of Peru. It was in the Ukiali region of Peru and um, had a nine day retreat, completely altered the, my concept of my life, about people in it, reality itself, um, in such a positive and profound way. Um, and I went back to Iraq actually after that experience and for about 10 months and integrated out there with the team. And, um, and then after that 10 months, I decided I was like, this life isn't really for me anymore. And I think I'm ready to, to go into the next step. And I still was not ready to go back to the States. So I went back to the Amazon jungle to, to work with this plant medicine again and decided to stay out there. So I lived in the Amazon for a year with the Shipibo tribe down, down in uh, Pucallpa, Peru, and worked at a center to help people through this plant medicine process. And after the end of that year, I met um, Jesse Gould, who started Hero Karts project and we uh, and then he told me hey man I'm starting this this nonprofit and I'm gonna need help and I was like anything you need man and so about a year after that I became a coach and now we've been doing this since 2017 so we're on the growth and that's how it got me on this podcast well, I had no awesome. idea that it's yeah, been around cool. since 2017 cool. mm -hmm. yeah so six years in the process so, but how long uh, again was it prior to that time frame that you had been, you know, looking into this? It was like two years, you said, or about yeah, that, so a little I, over. So I started getting, I guess, into the psychedelic space for probably like three years before that, but like it was mostly recreational. There wasn't, I didn't actually get a lot of like, the, like the, the buzz all over the internet right now is about the therapeutic uses of this. And yes, that's possible, but I also didn't like with my friends and at party scenes or like around a campfire or something, I didn't really get, um, I didn't get therapy out of it. It was, I just kind of compartmentalized it as, oh, I got really, really high with my friends and then didn't think much of it. It wasn't until I, uh, I had a, a, a DMT experience, which was so powerful that it really like shook me up going like, what was that? Like what? And it led me to start researching more into, into this. But before that, before going to the jungle, I didn't really have a lot of experience outside of like the recreational side of, of psychedelics. 
Let's spend a moment then talking about, because this is huge, and Kyle and I have talked about it within our community now where a lot of guys are searching for the healing. And, you know, one of the things that we talked about is that we're not going to sit here and say, hey, you know, this is something for everybody or anything like that. That what we want to do in this uh, show is really lay out the facts, what people are doing, how it's personally benefited, you know, those who've gone through the program, um, the kind of the do's and don'ts and yeah. those types of things and things that if people are going to go down this path who are off act active duty and want to search something like this, I, I want to kind of get through the um, what is that like, you know, mm -hmm. what is what does it look like and such. So um, so let's talk about initially the the idea or the concept i'm not sure where it you know started but everybody all of a sudden is looking at this as a healing method i mean we've gone from stellar ganglion blocks to you know yoga and therapy and mindfulness and you know breathing techniques and um i think they've done the the magnetic um aspects and everything so obviously some therapies work for certain individuals and they may work for shorter period of times than others um but everybody's searching for maybe that that key the thing the thing yeah mm -hmm. and and so for you guys what have you guys seen out there in that space as to that walk and that journey i mean have you guys seen the same thing we have in terms of people kind of really trying to find that opportunity? Yeah, we, we talk about it a lot. We were talking about this morning, you know, the, the thing, what you feel inside and what you, what you see inside is what you see in the world around you, right? So psychedelics weren't even on the horizon for me years ago. You know, the first time that, that we spoke, I, it was about American Yogi and about all the healing I'd gotten through meditation and through yoga and through, you know, mindfulness practices and books I've read and people I've spoken with. And, and I thought that was the key. You know, and then I kept on in my journey, and then I thought, oh, cool, sound healing works as well. And um, was it EMDR, uh, the, the therapy I was doing with, with, my, with my counselor? Like, that was working. That was the thing. Um, but I never felt along that journey that that part of me that needed to be extracted or evolved or transformed was really getting um, touched by the, the different modalities that I was trying. Um, so when psychedelics came along, it wasn't something that I that I was seeking out is really something that found me. You know, it, was, it wasn't like, oh, I'm hurting, what do I do? I was really in a place where I thought, I'm hurting, this is just how it's always going to be. Um, everything that I was doing in my practice, you know, I'm a, you know, a certified yoga instructor. You know, I, I do you know, meditation every day and I, I have all these things and I teach, you know, I've taught thousands of people at this point, you know, in the studio and retreats. And, um, but prior to psychedelics, you know, I thought that I understood what those things meant. I thought I understood um, that, you know, what they truly did for me. When I found psychedelics, or when psychedelics found me, it was Jesse Gould reached out to me um, towards, I guess, uh, a few months after I got out of the Army. And I was in a terrible place. And I was, I didn't want to live anymore. There was a night where, you know, I walked to the beach, I walked to the ocean, um, and I just stared out, and I just wanted to, to walk, and then swim, and then just keep swimming until I had no more energy. And so all of my practices, all of everything that I had done before that, while they were helping in the moment, there was still so much more beneath the surface that I, I couldn't access, and I didn't know what that answer was. And then when Jesse reached out to me, it, it, it was almost as if he knew, you know, that the, it, he called me, and I knew that I needed to answer the phone. And then when I found psychedelics, you know, my world, and we'll talk about that in a minute, you know, how so what was it specific? Yeah, what, what was it specifically that he said to you that, you know, really was like, 
wow, okay, this is not something I'd ever thought about, but, or There's was it? There's got to be something, because you, you, if you offer this, and you're like, okay, this is a big step yeah. for somebody. So what you, was it that made you, like, yeah. go Here's the funny thing, right? Nothing. Ah. He said, do you um, want to go to Peru and do ayahuasca? <laughs> and that was it. I was, I, I was in such a place where I tried everything. I'd been on every okay. antidepressant. I'd been on every, you know, there was a time in the army when I was on, you know, I was on Ativan and Clodipin and alpha blockers, beta blockers, you know, Zoloft, all those things. I tried everything. And so when someone reached out with, here, here's another thing, he didn't even say like, this is going to change your life. You're going to cure your post-traumatic stress. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be hard. Nothing. It was just, do you want to come heal in Peru? And I said, yes. So it kind of sounds like you were obviously on the beach, you kind of towards your wits in there. So you just felt like this was, did you, did you have that lifeline feeling like, yeah, this is like the kind of the last, last thing. A hundred percent. You know, I, I had been hurting for so long. I had been in pain for so long. I, um, and it was, it was a deep pain. It was, a, it was a scratch in my, the marrow of my soul, you know, and I, I thought, you know, I, honestly, I was the point I didn't want to live with it anymore. I didn't, I was tired of being in pain. I could put on a face for everyone I needed to, but I couldn't for myself. So Jared, like same, kind of the same question, like, were you on that same timeline? Do you feel like that was like your last effort or was that more of a, you almost feel lucky that you found it when you did? Um, so when I first got a, a lot of uh, benefit from working with psychedelics, I, um, I actually didn't know that I needed healing. Okay. I actually thought that I was, uh, I mean, like I was a contractor, I had a cool job, I was strong, I was still, I was still in my marine yeah. mindset. So I hadn't, I hadn't really started to register that like, I was like the whole world is, is fucked yeah. up and I'm, I'm the one that's okay and everything yeah. else is just sucks. So um, when, I, when I received it, it was, almost like, it was almost like I had no idea how much pain I was actually in until it was gone. Yeah. And, uh, and I'll tell you, across the board with, uh, with most of the veterans that I work with in this space, they have tried everything. Mm -hmm. And they have run the gambit through the VA and they yeah. have run the gambit through all types of therapies. And most of them are at this point where they're saying, I'll try anything. So you give this, to, yeah, sure, I'll try it. Yeah, sure, I'll try it. With, with a healthy dose of skepticism because they have tried everything. Saying yeah. like, I've tried everything and it's only scratched the surface or it's helped a little bit or it's made me feel like a zombie or whatever, yeah. but I'll try it because my life's falling apart and I... I think that's important to, to, to tell though. That's part of the story that everyone, it seems like it's kind of a normal, natural take on it is let's be a little bit skeptical about this. And if you're not skeptical about your therapy or what is what you're doing to make yourself better, is it is it really gonna benefit? So I think that's important to let everybody know that if you are skeptical, just the research is there, just continue to do the research until you either say yay or nay. Yeah, I think that skepticism is also respect. You know, having Absolutely. respect for the process, Absolutely. respect for the medicine, respect yeah. for the healing. Well, yeah, and, and we've, we've had enough, um, we've had enough snake oil salesmen talk about healing and everything else. And I went into this space extremely skeptical um, and I wouldn't take anybody's word for it. One of the reasons I went down to the jungle was because I was like, no one in the West knows what's going on down there. So I have to go find out what this is and what is the real thing and what's the hippie BS that I keep hearing from people. And so what was the name of the Shipibo tribe? Yeah, the Shipibo tribe. Okay. So how was that year with them? And was there uh, anything other than the, the ayahuasca or the DMT that you did that you thought helped as well, maybe 
from their culture or something? We did uh, all kinds of things down there. Uh, so we worked with all types of purgative medicines. And I say purgative meaning like they, they help release a lot mm -hmm. of like energy in yeah. you, which involve vomiting or going to the bathroom yeah. or whatever. Um, so I worked with ayahuasca, I worked with San Pedro, I worked with uh, Combo, I worked with uh, Hape, I, um, uh, and I did plant dietas, which so in the Shipibo culture, the thing was, is I expected I was going to go down there and get like a left seat, right seat version of, of this is how we do it. And we're just, you just follow this person and you will learn from them. So when I went down there and they, and I wanted to learn about ayahuasca, they said, you need to drink a lot of ayahuasca, like to do that. Like you can't, we can't teach you. You have to do it yourself. And that makes sense. And, <laughs> and so I, and which, I mean, which makes sense, but I was like, okay, so, um, and learn, and they basically told me the plants will teach you. And at the same time I was skeptical because I'm like plants teaching me things. Okay. Like, come on. Um, but as I started working in that culture and doing mm -hmm. these things that they call plant dieta or plant diets, um, there is a lot of subconscious information that comes from this, from working with these certain plants or these certain things that I cannot explain. Some stuff that would make most Westerners skin crawl saying like, okay, that's the whole reason I went down there was because it doesn't make any sense to us out here. Like how does a plant teach you things? But so I would, we, I, I've dieted tobacco and bobenzana and, and during the, during those diets, I, I had some really profound dreams and like epiphanies and realizations that came into my life that was kind of like a mix that if I wasn't in this, doing this diet and doing these things, had these, I don't know if these, these things would have came up. I was too distracted or I was too, um, there was too much going on in my head. So this process that they do for diet is you go into an isolation for uh, anywhere from like eight days to a month, depending on how long you're doing it. And you're in this like hut in the middle of the jungle and you don't see anybody and you are eating very, very little. And you basically are having maybe one meal a day with like rice and some steamed vegetables at that most. And then you're having a little bit of this plant. Like, so like a, they'll either mix the root in some water or uh, you're just nibbling on a piece of, the, piece of the plant itself. And then you sit out there in isolation for those times. And the only person that you see is the, is the healer or the shaman who comes and basically checks on you or you go out to ceremony with them. So you're coupling this with doing ayahuasca ceremonies during your isolation. And the ayahuasca helps to open up that that space. So yeah, the, there was tons of stuff that came out of me working in Peru. And I learned a lot about my diet, like what food was doing to my body itself. Like it's so hard to eat actually correct in the United States because I mean, you can't get, you can't get a vegetable without seeing like what other products they put in vegetables yeah. like you and, and like we call organic food, like what our, my grandparents would just call food, food. you yeah. know? Yeah. So like, it's uh, it's, it's very hard to, to eat like correct. And we don't know what that's doing to our consciousness, but out there it's all fresh food. So just getting that aspect, I got to see what, what was going on. But so like there was plenty of things, but mostly what I got as far as, uh, from this was a deep sense of mindfulness. Like this really calmed me and quieted me down enough to start to notice how I was responding to things and how I would think about things and, and helping people with their own healing started helping me to start working on my own healing. Um, 
so it so it was really just a, a all-encompassing uh, thing that really helped. Now I don't think that everyone needs to go spend a year in Peru to get healed. You can you can have an experience and still integrate it back into this life here and have a tremendous amount of of healing that comes from these experiences. But now, would you recommend coupling this with other therapies? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I think that uh, the, the sweet spot for us as Westerners, since we're so very frontal lobe about a lot of stuff are very logical, um, is to mix these things with like traditional therapies. Talk therapies and, yeah. and stuff like that. Okay. And, and I don't mean like during the experience. Yeah, no. I mean like before and after yeah. the experience, letting the experience be what it is, but having some sort of guide or person that you can unpack this with and start to really integrate it back into your life is crucial for the, for the process. So that, that initial period was just more of like, I think there's a bit of, if I use the word purging, purging probably goes mm -hmm. across the full spectrum of the experience in total. But the first part was to purge at least any toxins and things that may be uh, within our foods or mm -hmm. those types of things, as well as like you said, give you mindfulness where you can start focusing internally. Um, do you feel like the food also kind of maybe the food deprivation caused this sense of, uh, I mean, because it does when you get food and sleep deprivation, a sense of uh, focus in a way, um, sometimes good, sometimes, you know, you're right on the razor's edge as well. Um, so it can also cause uh, additional issues, you know, hallucinations and I mean, absolutely. Guys have been to ranger school to talk about seeing school. all kinds of crazy yeah, things. Absolutely. Yeah. I do think that the food deprivation does <laughs> increase your sensitivity. Just like if you don't eat salt or sugar, I was going to say that. Right. And then suddenly you have a salty food, you are your palate just whoa, that's a yeah, lot of yeah. salt. So that's the actually the idea behind these dietas that they would do is they're trying to make you much more sensitive to that plant itself. Strip you down to the yeah, base. Strip yeah. you down to the bases so that way you can really pick up on the nuances of what is happening chemically or emotionally, or in, in some cases they would say plant spirits, so spiritually with that plant and get these messages. And a lot of these times, these dreams that you would get in these spaces would, would give you like, insight on what's going on inside of you and I think that I think and fasting has been a part of human civilization for thousands of years and people swear by it we we now think that like intermediate fasting now is like is a new age it's not we've been doing this for a long 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 time and yogis in in the east have been doing fasting for a very long time to have spiritual connections or get, dive deep within themselves so this is just um, a thousand some year practice that the Shipibo have been doing to basically connect with these plants as well and they and these each one of these plants has different personalities with different things that will teach them uh, certain things like bobenzana for instance the the plant that i work with is a is a compassion heart opening plant so it really helps you dive into your childhood and helps you dive into more things about compassion and love in your life and so the dreams that i was having with bobenzana were very wrapped around my childhood and everything else now for the skeptic out there just like i'm skeptical like knowing this knowledge also could have inspired those dreams but either way 
it was a real experience for me. Like, I know that maybe my subconscious was saying, I'm supposed to have dreams about my childhood right now. But the lessons that I learned were stuff I had forgotten about what it was like to feel like a kid or things that were much deeper in there. So this is something we can get into as well about intention behind what you're doing can really drive or push you into what experience you're looking for. Did you have any kind of like medical blood work or anything done prior in order to see like a baseline? No, I wish I would have though, uh, for my scientific also side of my brain to see what's going on. But uh, there are plenty of studies out there that, that, um, that we are participating in as well that, um, that are looking at gut biome, that are looking at blood, that are looking at what's going on in the brain. We're looking at all this stuff and, and those studies are starting to come out now. Um, and I wish I would have had like, this is what my blood looked like then, or this is what was going on at that point. Um, I, there was a lot of trust and, and also a lot of naive, like I was really naive kind of moving into it. And I was like, well, I'll try this. And they've been doing this for a long time and I'll trust it, we'll see what works. Yeah, you know, the uh, the gut part is like, uh, is why I asked about that. You know, first to get the baseline and the fact that you're purging yourself of the salt, of the sugars, of the toxins and stuff that may even be in the, uh, the herbicides or whatever that's been applied and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So having a baseline of saying this is where I was and wow, when I came back, this is how it differed in, in terms of what you took. Because, I mean, you think about pure medicine and medicine that's given over the counter that people, because a doctor prescribes it, it means that it's okay. Um, but what we don't know in, a, in many cases is um, necessarily how it's affecting your individual body because through the study that they provided, it was usually a white male, um, you know, of some age group and demographic, but they didn't go full across the whole spectrum and across different DNA types and everything else. So what you don't know is what receptors it's turning on or mm -hmm. off within yeah. your individual body. And that's why some people can take a drug and it affects them very differently, including aspirin, ibuprofen, and st simple stuff like that yeah. versus somebody else. And so um, I, I think I, that's why I asked you, like, you know, where, where was it that you were? And then when you started seeing these effects, um, I think that would have been helpful, certainly. But I also wonder, like, back then, you were in the very early stage of this whole process, because I personally, and maybe this has been around within the, uh, the community for some time frame, but it seems like it's been more prevalent, I would say, in the last 18 to 24 months than mm. ever. Yeah. Yes. And, and so do you, do you kind of attribute that or think that, that might be more just because the awareness of the individuals that are going and coming back? That's what I was going to say. Okay. I think, I think we're seeing it more in the community because more outspoken voices are, are trying plant medicine and are being outspoken about it, you know, and, and you know, where prior, you know, when I started American Yogi, he was talking about bringing yoga out the dark, you know, and now yoga, you know, six, seven years later, yoga is really common in, you know, soft community, the conventional, you know, army community, military as a whole, the veteran community. And I feel like psychedelics is kind of in that same space. You know, a few years ago, it was very under the table. And, you know, now the guys that were trying to bring those voices out where it's okay not to be hyper-masculine all the time are saying, hey, it's okay to, to try these, these new modalities, you know, try this, this medicine and tell people about it and show people, you know, the effects of it. And I think, and, and heroic hearts is really good about that too, because they pull people in that, that, that are outspoken about their struggle and are outspoken about their journey and give them a way to, to start healing. And then those people with the voices they had prior have evolved, but are still the same, the same level. You know? Yeah, I, I first did this in 2016, and uh, when I came back in 2016, coming back meaning like going back to my contract in Iraq, I was surrounded by 
contractors and veterans on my team and they were all interested to hear about what I was saying, but they had no idea about any of this stuff and they were very skeptical. And so I, 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 I feel like from when I first started all this, it was very underground. It was very hush. I don't want to even say hush. It was just, there was a lot of stigma behind it. Yeah. People imagine psychedelics to be like, Oh, love and light and all this stuff and veterans and service members themselves were really turned off by a lot of that. We think it's just like they're burying their head in the sand. I actually remember when I showed up to my retreat center, I had just left Iraq and I showed up to my retreat center in Peru and everyone that was facilitating there was so lovely, but they were hippies you know like hardcore hippies and i'm like and i'm looking around and i and literally just got back from this just got out of this contract and i'm like these hippies have no idea what the world is actually like like these people are so naive their heads must be buried they're out here doing a bunch of psychedelics in the jungle they have no idea what the world is actually like and after my retreat, I actually started seeing them not like hippies, but people started actually getting to know them and seeing that they weren't as naive as I thought they were and that like my perspective was pretty skewed. But so like getting past that stigma with veterans has been difficult. But I think, Phil, you're absolutely right. It's it's people, not just veterans, but people coming out of the psychedelic closet, so to speak, and saying like, hey, this really helped me. And then not just that, but people in their communities seeing yeah. the results. It's not just someone saying, oh, I'm healed and this stuff is happening. Yeah. But people who haven't done the experience are saying like, man, my brother, my sister, my dad, my mom, it really helped them. Seeing somebody have demonstrated success. I, I think of like Sophie Allaire, like she goes and does it. I mean, she's super successful, yeah, climb Mount Everest, like all, all that good stuff. Like she's an uber successful person who did this checkup um, with herself, really, and came back and is still enabled herself for success, even with this, this great knowledge that she has of her, of, her own, of her own thoughts and her own mind at this point, too. It's almost like putting another tool in your kit bag. Oh, it, mm -hmm. absolutely. Um, if you do it correctly and you do it safely and you've done your research and, and, and you do the things that you're supposed to do that you would do with anything. Like yeah. if you're going to a doctor, you're not just going to pick some doctor. I, th I think you nailed it. Though. That's the key is, you know, like we talked about set and setting, you know, making sure you're doing it under the, you know, the right or safe circumstances, not the right, but safe yeah. circumstances. And with research, you know, the kind of the double-edged sword of the, the popularity, at least from, like from my Fox on what I'm seeing, you see the rise in popularity of psychedelics. And remember a few years ago, it was, it was CrossFit, you know, and then it's, you know, it's cold plunges, and it's jujitsu and, and all these things. I know like I jumped back into jujitsu, like I was a wrestler back in the day and then I, I, I wanted to do jujitsu. And it was something kind of in the mainstream that came my way and it's like, oh, I'll try it. Um, the double-edged sword of it where it's great yeah there's here's another way we could heal um the danger is that it becomes maybe it's too easy for entry and you and you walk into it maybe unprepared because you think oh everybody does it so i'm i'm going to take a bunch of mushrooms and i'm going to heal but it can go it can go so far south you know doing it without proper i guess steps in place without the proper environment in place and support in place um so the danger is i think it becoming too too, I don't even know if access is, is the right word for it, but too a common place where, you know, like smoking a cigarette or something. No, I can definitely see that being a problem. And here, you know, here in especially America, um, we're, we're probably looking at it in our society has always looked at things like that's taboo. That's, you know, LSD, shrooms, everything else back in the day was something that was a period in time in the 70s or whatever have you or... Um, so it was a very different, you know, um, type of mindset. 
Yet, you know, there was a period of time when I think a lot of that was actually being used uh, by medicine to treat people until, you know, um, it was then received very differently. So now people are going outside of the country in order to get healing that they otherwise yeah. couldn't get here. But if tomorrow all of a sudden physicians started doing this inside the office and, you know, you would go to a center that was controlled by physicians in America, everybody would be like, oh, yeah, yeah that's that's perfectly yeah. legit. Everything is great. Mm -hmm. And so it's you've got to think about that um, as an individual who's listening or watching this, you know, about what. What is your threshold? What is it that you're looking for? And at your stage, it sounded more like I didn't even go there. It was more of, will it help? And I'm there. I'm yeah. all in, you know, yeah. type of thing. And so, you know, I think that's what people who are listening to don't understand that part, Phil, you know, maybe need to understand is that when you reach that level, um, you're just looking for something other than the spot that you're within. And those who have never experienced that, um, it may be difficult to understand that deep depression, like you were mentioning somebody's name earlier, that was not even combat. That is stress and trauma yeah. from early childhood yeah. mm -hmm. um, that that individual is trying to work on, Sophie, you know, and trying to heal herself. Yeah. Um, whereas yours is combat and most of the guys we've seen. Yeah, it's, it, it's a it's complex, right? It's an onion. You know, the, the first time I went down to the jungle, it was to, it was to you know, purge my pain, to purge my darkness, to purge, you know, and, and, you know, first ceremony, I'm diving into survivor's guilt. Like the very first thing of the first ceremony, after I drink, the first thing comes to, to my mind is just crying. Like I heard a voice that said, that, you know, said, you're here. It's okay. Cause you're here. You're here, but they're not. And then I lost it. And that, that week became about um, purging that guilt, purging that shame, purging that darkness and the pain that, that I've been healing or I've been putting myself through. Um, but as my journey has gone on, um, it hasn't all been about combat. It hasn't all been about my, my time overseas. It's, it's actually, you kind of push that out of the way and then you start dealing with your childhood and then you start dealing with your relationships and you start dealing with your family and you start dealing with, with yourself and your own hangups and why you're this way and, and what hurts that you want to try to push away. Um, and, and, you know, something else you talked about before is it's not all combat vets, you know, you have military sexual trauma. Um, you have even, you know, I went through a stretch. We talked about this in past episodes. I lost three guys in a matter of a couple months in training accidents, guys getting sliced in half, guys getting burned in the striker, guys getting paralyzed. Guys, I mean, you don't have to go to combat to be traumatized. You know, you don't have to be in special operations to be traumatized. You don't, there's no standard for trauma. And the great thing about psychedelics is they don't care. The plant doesn't care where you where you gained your trauma from. It's not know? like snaking through you trying to find the, the yeah. military trauma. Yeah, sorry, yeah. I don't want to treat you else. unless yeah, it's combat related. Really yeah. You know, so so yeah. So it's it's um it started that from that depth, but you know at the same time you don't have to be you know wanting to die to to do psychedelics necessarily. You yeah. know, like for me that's what I needed, and that being able to, to walk past, to walk through that door, you know, not just stare at the door of, you know, of, of this pain and, and healing, but to walk through it and now start exploring and now start wading through the waters. And now, you know, I went down to Mexico a couple months ago and it wasn't about combat at all. You know, those ceremonies were, were in my soul, were down to, you know, the child inside of me bringing him back out. So what about like, um the Native American tribes here in America, I mean, it, in early days and stuff, I mean, they talked a lot about, um, you know, at least from my experience of reading and everything else about plants to understand why each plant is here, what it's doing, you know, how it's connected to the total. 
um, you know, God or the, the being, uh, you know, is there to, for connectivity. It's all of that. What I think I'm hearing, at least from everybody that's gone to South America, is somewhat similar, you know, experience in terms of understanding, and maybe that's what you learned and gained in that year, of understanding plant medicine means the plants have always been here. It's, they can be used for good, for harm, or whatever, and they have different, you know, some you shouldn't even take at all, or, you know, shouldn't even mess with or anything, uh, because they'll kill you, that's what I mean, but then other yeah. things have other purposes, right? Um, so I'm, I'm, I, did you go through all, any of that type of thing while you were there? And I struggle with a lot of um, when, before even was, um, I was pretty anti-drug when I was in the when I was in the Marine Corps. I, anybody who smoked pot to me was just evil. Yeah, I think that's how it was for me at the time. It was just like that was, it was a stupid idea. Why do this and everything else? Because um, at my point, I was still a part of that dare generation where all drugs are bad. Yeah. And, and I tell a lot of my conservative friends um, and non-conservative friends out there who are, who are still on this hang up about what a good or bad drug is. And I said, there's no such thing as a good or bad gun either. Just good, bad users, people who use it for certain things. It's just tools. So all these plants, whether they, and, and one of the things that the maestro I worked with told me, he said that the difference between poison and medicine is a matter of dosage and frequency. So um, everything can be a medicine. Everything can be a poison as well. It just depends on you know the dosage and the frequency of use and why you're using it. So it's a matter of of really broadening our perspective and seeing that these things are tools to be used and certain tools yeah can be very harmful if you're not using them right i mean like you've been around a construction site you can say that too like man everything is a zombie apocalypse weapon here so like it's it's just a matter of who's using it what their intention is behind it and 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 like how are they using it and i think that's where it comes to and that's where i think we're hearing a lot of these the the scary stories about psychedelics is people were not using them correctly just like the scary stories we're hearing about guns and other substances is people not using these tools correctly. Yeah, how, I mean, that, that to me is the thing that's most concerning, right? Because a lot of the reasons why you set a standard and you place in controls is to make sure that there are left and right boundaries and people are not going out there to try to abuse it in some way um, for their own benefit in gain, you know, like, yeah, give me $10,000 and we'll ship you down to Peru and you're gonna be healed. And you're gonna come back and you're gonna be a better person and everything. And um, so, I mean, it's in a way having it under the surface, hidden and, and not well known, but yet it's kind of known in certain circles yeah. is almost better because then those who are going through it are going through a smaller uh, sample size in targeted areas. But once it becomes more known, that's when the, the really concern should be there in a lot of ways because people will abuse it if they get the opportunity, you know. And we're at a, we're at a really interesting point with this, uh, with this movement happening in the United States because um, this is a good opportunity for us to set a standard of what is that safety net? What is those left and right lateral limits and how do we do that? So that way it's kind of like we all have a label on our Tylenol ball that says do not take more than this and if you go above that and you hurt yourself, it was obviously listed right there, the education is there. It's not about abstinence, it's not about demonizing things, it's really about learning how to educate. The same thing I would say about gun safety, right? Like people are going to misuse guns who are not educated. 
people are going to misuse tools that are not educated to use them. You go on a you go on a work site, you learn how to use these tools properly. You also learn if you do this, it's going to hurt you, you know, or it's going to hurt somebody else. So we don't have that with psychedelics because of the prohibition of them. Like it's the the standard in the United States has not been uh, let's learn about these things the right way of using them. It's just don't do that. And as we found with any prohibition in the United States, it doesn't work that way. Mm -hmm. we, we abuse it, we harm it, and then we demonize the thing because we don't know how to use it properly. Yeah. Let's talk a minute then about like the use of the tool, the, the medicine in, in its use. Um, how do I know, how do I know where to go or how to find this type of thing that's out there that I know that I can trust um, and, and how do I know, or what risk, I guess, um, especially if I'm a risk intolerance, I don't want a whole lot of risk. Um, how do I know, or how do I gain enough confidence? How am I trying to say this? How do I gain enough confidence yeah. that what I'm getting ready to go into? Where would you start to find the credible, credible resources yeah, to start I'm, your research? Um, for myself, I would say that, um, Online is a good way of looking at it and because people are pretty open about their experiences. If you find, say if you find a circle in your local community, they're all doing mushrooms or something like that and they, they advertise for healing. Um, ask around about that place and their practices and and understand that some people it may be their first time with that place and they may be really enamored with how that goes but um, there should be safety mechanisms put involved like if you're going to do this make sure that you are in a controlled environment where that way you feel safe if you do not feel safe at all you should not do it like you should not if you if anything in the process of leading up to it brings you like oh I don't feel safe with these people you shouldn't go do it um, there should be they should be able to be open and, uh, and honest about their practices and what they do um, if if it's costing a lot of money for very little benefit for instance that's another red flag to me if someone's saying hey pay me ten thousand dollars and I'll and I'll give you a mushroom ceremony like that to me is a red flag that their intention behind it is not to help you it's to make money um, so it's it is saturated out there and it's very hard to find so I think the first place to start looking is really online and most of the ones that have like that have pretty reputable or professional looking websites and stuff will have these common practices that they will have and that will give you a baseline for these things so like for there are certain nonprofits out there now for veterans for instance if you're a vet listening to this that you can look into that have these established lines and they will be very upfront and apparent this is our process this is how we do things this is our program as opposed to come out for a weekend and do psychedelics and we're going to keep it quiet because we don't want the feds to find out right right when when you went down there uh, Phil, what what was like going through your mind at the moment? Were you were you trying to go down there again with mindfulness of just being open to the experience, uh, or what types of hesitation? And then, what was that transition like for you? Yeah, I'll, I'll happily talk about that. Um, I was scared. Um, I was just terrified. I went down there with just just fear um, because I knew I didn't. I, fear I intentionally of, fear of myself, mm. fear of what I'd see and feel. Um, I knew what I was hiding, you know, I knew, I knew my skeletons 
And, um, you know, I, I, Jared was my coach before I went down, my integration coach before I went down to Peru. And he actually had to talk me into going uh, one day. You know, I was having like a really hard day. I was having a tough time with my family. And I said, you know, this is just too much for me right now. And it was fear. It was fear that, that was stopping me. Um, but he, you know, talked me through it and got me off the ledge and reminded me how much I needed this and how much I wanted it. Um, so I went down there, you know, I took a picture. I, I always show everyone when I talk about uh, my experience. I took a before and after picture. And my before picture uh, was right before I got in the car to drive to the airport, and I was angry. I was just pissed. I was angry at the world. I was angry at myself. I, like, I hated everything about myself and, and, and the, the things around me and what I was feeling. And, I, and it was a front for, for fear. It was a front for, you know, fear of the unknown. You know, I'd spent essentially 20 years, I think it was 18 years from the time I got back from Israel. And the first time, as soon as I got back, I started drinking heavily, heavily when I got home. You know, I went over as a single person. I experienced combat as a single person. I had no unit, I had no buddies around me to commiserate with. I had no preparation for combat. I had no idea what I was getting into. I was outside of Gaza with a bunch of tanks ready to cross the border. And then a couple soldiers got killed up north and my, the photographer I was with asked me if I wanted to go see a gunfight. And I said, yes. And we just started driving to the north. And so I came home and I was, I was wrecked. So I then systematically for the next 18 years stayed high. Um, you know, when I was in the military, you know, we were always drinking, whether it was during work, after work. You know, when I was, um, you know, I, I would drink, I would take whatever pills they would give me, anything I could do, you know, anything over the counter or not, to, to numb myself from feeling all the things I needed to feel. And I got used to being in a constant state of intoxication. And I didn't realize this till after I took the medicine and I started looking back at my journey. Um, but I knew that I had a lot in me. I would, I would separate for days and weeks and I would shut down my wife and shut down my family and I couldn't talk to anyone for days at a time. So I knew that going down there, you know, I, I intentionally didn't research ayahuasca. I didn't want to know a thing about it. I didn't want to hear about any stories. I didn't want to hear what the experience was going to be like. I didn't want to... I didn't want anything to cloud my experience. I wanted it to be mine and mine alone. So I went down there extremely scared. And you know, the front for that was I can beat this. You know, I can, I can conquer the medicine. You know, it's just it's a fight, just like, any, just like anything else. And I got down there and the medicine showed me pretty quickly that it was not to be, to be won. It was not, it was not a, a game to be played. Um, you know, first ceremony, I go in there and, you know, I'm, I'm a yogi. So I did, I meditated so hard all day. I did all the yoga. I did all the journaling and I was the picture of peace. I was the picture of, of mindfulness and I'm ready, I'm ready to receive. Um, and then I got in, in, in my first ceremony and medicine just started, I was a punching bag. Um, the medicine just pushed me down to the floor and just held me down. Um, and all that fear turned into discomfort. And I realized that the things that I feared were the things I needed to face most. And discomfort within myself was something that I was, I was uh, hiding for so long behind medication and alcohol. Um, so then I, I received the gift of discomfort you know, when I got to the jungle. And it was my introduction, like, welcome, welcome to yourself. Um, and it was, really, it was really hard. But I woke up the, the, after my first ceremony, I woke up the next morning and I was looking out of the jungle and I turned and I was looking through a window and I could just catch a reflection of my eyes and I just started weeping, not bawling, just like, just a, like a, it was a, we, a weeping and tears started streaming down my face because I didn't recognize myself, you know, in a beautiful way, you know, like my eyes opened up, you know, my, I felt like my face wasn't, wasn't pulling down toward the earth as much and um, it gave me confidence like I knew what I was doing there 
Uh, and the medicine showed me again that I had no idea. And there was like, I, I thought that, okay, cool. I, I got so much healing done last night. This is, this, gee whiz, this is great. And um, then I had surprises, you know, that I had another ceremony where um, the next day the shaman said, hey, Phil, you had a big ceremony the first night. It was like going 10 rounds, you know, over and over and over, dealing with, you know, pulling things from my mind and, 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 and making me face them. And I, I had a monster ceremony. And the next day the shaman's like, you know, chill today. You're good. Don't be greedy with the medicine. And I spent the, the ceremony sitting with my thoughts for four and a half hours. I just sat with my thoughts and my anger and my disconnection from the world. And um, the next morning I sat with Jesse and Jesse read a poem about, that he wrote after, after ceremony um, about being a warrior sets down his armor you know, and, and finding your softness and what it means to be a warrior now. And I lost it. I absolutely lost it. I realized all that anger was finally able, like I, I was okay, I was safe. I was finally safe enough to let go. And I think that was the key for me. You know, if I wasn't in that situation with, with veterans at the time, if I wasn't, you know, down in the jungle of Peru where, you know, everything was cut off, no electronics, no distractions, no, no nothing. And I had, to, I had to look at myself, but I had to look at myself while I was being held at the same time. So I go into my last ceremony and that was the monster. That was, you know, after, after spending two days like, meditating the hardest I can meditate and doing all the yoga and breathing. Like I am great. I am grounded. I am love. I led, I led everyone through this like beautiful breath and, and stretching before ceremony. And I sat down like, this is going to be amazing. I, I am full of so much love. This is going to be, I, I figured it out. I, you know, I got the cheat code to ayahuasca. Um, and then I drank the medicine that night. And as he's, as he's pouring the medicine, you hear all the animals screeching and screaming at you. You know, one of the animals was telling the shaman uh, more to give me more, so he kept on pouring more in the cup. And you know, we were talking about earlier how um, you know guidelines and uh, how much should someone take of something, or what should they take. And really, my trust was in the shaman. You know, and I found out later that he was giving me the absolute maximum amount of ayahuasca that he could give that he knew I could take. Um, so my last ceremony in in Peru that week. That was the life changer. That was the, that was the moment that changed my life. All the fear and the, 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 the pain and the darkness that I'd been carrying. That I, I spent 18 years of just, in just pain. 18 years of, of numbing myself. 18 years of incurring trauma on trauma on trauma. Just packing it all down. And Ayahuasca said to me, all right, you, you want to numb for 20 years, now you're going to feel it all. Now you're going to feel every single time you've ever numbed yourself to your pain. You're going to feel every single time that you, that you were sad and you chose not to cry. You're going to feel every single time you walked away from your wife when you should have had a conversation. And you know, that ceremony, that's, that was my, the first time I ever uh, felt like I died. You know, after I got back, I said I died in the jungle and was reborn. You know, I, didn't, I didn't actually die, but I experienced my own death. I experienced my own death, and then I went to my own personal hell. Um, and I had to live there infinitely. I had to experience what it felt like to live forever in a, in a place with no time, a place that I was trapped in, this just hellscape and environment that I needed. You know, this is what I needed to see what I'd been doing to myself. You know, not to say that everyone that goes down there with pain, everyone that goes down there with post-traumatic stress, anyone that goes down there with, any, with combat trauma, whatever it is, that they won't necessarily go to this place. But this was the place that I created I needed to see. And 
it was it was the hardest the hardest thing I'd ever done in my life, hands down. Not even a close second. Nothing came close. Nothing would ever come close to that. And it was me. There was no external. There was nothing that was happening from the outside. It was me experiencing my own humanity that I'd created inside. And. I had facilitators around me that could hold me. You know, I went in that ceremony. I, I spent so long needing love. You know, I spent so long feeling alone, and I, having experienced death and then being reborn. You know, Jesse Gould was. I was in the bathroom with him of the of the ceremony space because they had to they had to move me away from everyone because I was so disruptive. I was, I was thrashing and kicking and banging. You know, one of our facilitators. He was a former fighter or MMA coach. And he had to bear hug me, and the shaman had to jump on top of me because two decades of pain were just coming out of me, and it was coming out in every way it could, just uh, you know, vomiting and yelling and crying and thrashing and kicking, you know, marching my last steps out of me, and I'm just in the bathroom, you know, holding on to, to Jesse's foot, and just saying, I just need to hold your foot right now. I just need to feel like I'm not alone. I need to be grounded into this world because I kept getting pulled down in my soul. I, kept, I could feel it, like demons were, were pulling me down. And these men were bringing me back to life. These men were, were facilitating me back to, to myself. And after that ceremony, you know, that f the fear was with me. Um, you know, it was a seven and a half, seven hour ceremony, which is significantly longer than, than most. My whole body was numb by the end of it. Um, because I was thrashed. I hadn't slept all week. I was sleeping maybe half hour to an hour a night every, after every ceremony because I was, I was just, um, yeah. I was thrashing and moving so much and clenching so much. I could feel the numbness go all the way up to my body. And by the end of the night, even my jaw started getting numb so I could hardly move. And I was just trying to stay awake. I was trying to stay conscious. And the next, I thought to myself, you know, this is never, I'm never going to recover from this. Like, I'm never, nothing will ever be the same. Everything, I'm just scared. I had a night, I, I had to take uh, two headlamps. And I had to shine the headlamps on red, red light in the room because I was afraid of the dark for days afterwards. Um, I couldn't be alone. My roommate, I just had him like talk to me all night. I said, you just need to keep talking to me because I can't look out in the darkness of the jungle right now. Um, but I slept for about an hour and a half that night. And I woke up. And I felt grace, and I felt reverence for the experience, and I felt gratitude, and I felt light. And it was, it was like coming out of the maternity ward, you know, and I walked stepping into the world for the first time, and that, that pain, that pain was gone for the first time. That anxiety was, was, was finally gone for the first time. So, you know, from, I went back, and I, I that picture afterwards, I looked, the, the picture that I took before I left of that anger in my eyes and my face was like scrunched up. And I had somebody take a picture of me because I, I wanted to compare it. And it's like looking, in, looking at a different person, you know, when you, when you put them side to side. And that was my first experience with it. I came back and, um, yeah, it changed everything. Wow. Pretty, pretty heavy. Extremely heavy. <laughs> and then extremely light. Yeah. What was your wife's reaction when you got home? We cried a lot together. Um, Could she immediately know a difference? Yeah, it was it was very apparent. And, and still, like you know, Robert, you said you've seen my journey. I, 
everyone that I haven't seen for, for a while, you know, when I see them, they, they, they can feel a change in me. They can see a change in me. You know, people that see pictures of me you know, through American Yogi, they say, you just look different. And when I got home to my wife, it was hard. So I kind of barricaded myself in my room for the first week. I didn't come out. I, you know, I saw my kids. I put them to bed. Um, but otherwise, I, I didn't leave the room. I was, the way that, that Jesse described it to me, he said, it's kind of like a snake. You know, when a snake sheds its skin, it has to slither through these, these uh, you know, thorny, thorn bushes, and these prickly patches to, to pull the skin off. But then once the skin comes off, you're, you're bare. You know, you're naked to the world. The, the snake needs to, to grow its new skin, so it has to go under a rock, a nice cool rock to, to regrow. And that's kind of what happened to me. I, I, I walked through the thorns, I slithered through the thorns, and I came back and I needed to hole up and because and, you're very sensitive to the world. You're sensitive to everything, or I was very sensitive to everything around me. I was very energetically sensitive. Um, but with my wife and my kids, because I have three, three little girls, they became my best teachers in my integration and my healing um, because I was, I was able to approach them in a way that I never could, and I was able to give them a side of myself I never could. You know, to be like bawling in my wife's arms uh, was, was a really beautiful, um, expression of our of our love and our relationship and and my own healing and for my kids you know when they when they'd kick and scream at night not want to go to bed and you know act like little maniacs for me just to sit with them calmly and hold them and give them space to, to go through what they needed to go through um, it helped me heal as it helped them heal at the same time uh, did you guys ever have like a you and your wife a conversation to help her understand that journey and where you've come to yeah yeah, I did. I did a lot of apologizing yeah. um, when I got back. You know, I apologized for the things I put her through. I apologized for you know the things that the secondary trauma that she incurred from from my from my trauma from the time we we started dating. We started dating in 2006 when I got home from from Israel. So she hasn't known me until two years ago as somebody that wasn't in constant in pain from trauma. I did a lot of apologizing, but also the, the hard part that, that doesn't really get talked about that Heroic Arts is starting to do with Hope Project now um, is integrating the families, uh, the spouses into it as well. You know, when I got home from Peru, I was speaking a different language essentially. Like I had went to this other place, this other plane, and I gained this, you know, this knowledge, this wisdom, and this language. And when I would try to describe things to her, she wouldn't understand it. It's because she hadn't been there. She hadn't, she hadn't received the dictionary. Um, so what we did is about two, three months later, she went down to Mexico with the Hope Project and uh, Mission Within. And she was able to do uh, psilocybin and, and 5-MeO-DMT ceremony. And that allowed her to feel like she was closer to where I was coming back from my journey. Like she, she understood a bit, of that, um, a bit of that knowledge. You know, she felt what it feels like to be in a psychedelic state. She felt what it feels like to come into yourself. Um, and that actually made us closer. And we've both continued the, the medicine journey together even through today. She's going to, Iowa, to an ayahuasca retreat in a month. So did she do that because of maybe some of the secondary post-traumatic stress placed on her from you or from uh, that and maybe previous trauma? What, what was her thought of going into that? Um, the, the initial thought was to help, um, help our marriage is, you know, we, it creates, when one partner goes, and this is just my experience, when one partner goes down and, or goes somewhere and does psychedelics, they come back a lot of times a different person or change in a lot of ways. And that created a bit of like a rift, a distance between us. So 
in order to, to start closing that gap, we realized she needed to understand. But at the same time, yes, at the same time, she had to go purge you know, from childhood. Her father died when she was 14 years old, and she never dealt with that. And she had to take on the weight, uh, the family's weight. You know, and through life, and then she ended up taking on a lot of my trauma. So it's a mix, right? You know, like I went down the first time to purge my, my you know, trauma from overseas, and now I'm trying to cleanse my, my soul. And she's kind of on that same journey as well, I think. Did you forgive yourself? Did I forgive myself? I think I'm still in the process of forgiving myself. You know, I think it's, it's part of my journey. You know, they, uh, after my first ceremony, I was down to teach retreats, uh, yoga and surfing retreats, really spiritual wellness retreats down in Guatemala. And I had a shaman, we were in a Mayan fire ceremony. And she, I was, somebody asked if I wanted a cushion to sit on because I was fidgeting a lot. You know, I broke my back, so I always I have arthritis and bulging discs. And I said, no, don't worry about it, I'm always in pain. And the shaman turned around and she said to me, what do you mean, what did you say? And I said, I said, don't worry, I'm always in pain. She's like, that's a choice. That pain is a choice that you're telling me right now. And as part of the process to, to get me to start dealing with, with that, she put me through a, um, like a forgiveness practice. So then every single day, from that time till I saw her six months later, I had to continue forgiving myself. I had to forgive myself for everything I could think of, from the time I was a little kid to, to, to the very, that very day. So I spent a long time trying to forgive myself, and I didn't believe myself for a long time. I could, I could say the words all day, but I still, you know, I blamed myself for deaths. You know, there was a, a soldier that, the, that, I, that I lost and I was on the recovery team for, and I put him down that path, you know, I put him on that route. You know, I should, have seen, I should have done better reconnaissance, and I blame myself, you know, I carried a lot of guilt. But it's also little things like raising my voice in my child. Um, and I spent a long time not believing myself, and then suddenly something clicked one day, and I started to believe myself. And I think it was that constant, consistent practice with the self-work and the introspection. And now I can forgive myself. I also blame myself for a lot of stuff all the time. Um, but I think I'm always, and may always be in the process of forgiving myself. At this point, we're going to take a little break. Yeah. Tune in in two weeks for part two. I think some people may look at psychedelics and think, well, I'm just going to go down. I'll go down to Peru. I'll do ayahuasca. I'll come back. PTSD gone. I'm good. Um, but it's, it's a lot harder than that in a lot of ways. You know? But there did get to a point when I, I realized I needed to go back. Um, 